Excalibur. Is it true? Touch it quickly! These don't look ancient. Nice. Big curves. Yeah. For her pleasure. What did you type in? Elispos. And here. There's a... Big curves for her Half pleasure. of the pictures are from Assassin's Creed. Finding the Elispos for this blonde boy. So here is a Japanese one from the 1800s. It looks hollow, so maybe you put a dick in there. I don't know. It looks hollow, so wait. Oh, like, that could be, like, a sleeve. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like a sweet back. Mm, right, a dick inside the dick. The invention of the Elisbos. Here we go. Here's an ancient... Ancient art. Did you find a... Maybe you... He's got a box of dicks. Box of dicks art. Did you find maybe, like, a double-sided one where you and Blonde Boy could, like... One in the front, one in the back. Mm -hmm. Queen Isabella of Spain's Elispos. Beautiful. I mean, that is very classy. Is that real? It's There's a classy no dildo. I mean, that is. That doesn't look like something from... Oh, I mean, what was she like the 15th century? Mm -hmm. Same same time period as when Death of Arthur was released. Topical mm -hmm. for today's it's a, it's a topical thing. She has dildo sandals. Let me see. You know that your advertisements on all websites are going to be... I was looking it up for Assassin's Creed. What's up, everybody? I'm Nolan. Stacy Glover. Melanie. And you're listening to Cinema Parlor. How you guys doing? Good. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. Having some drinks. Talking some film. Stacy, what are you drinking today? New World Camelot Mead. From Oliver Winery. Very sweet. Get you feeling good. You know, I normally don't drink wine, but I felt like, you know, I needed the drink of the gods today. Good occasion for it. Okay. That's um, what they call it, right? Drink of the gods. Drink Mead. of the gods. I'm drinking something that I'm going to call the Lady of the Lake. It's rose lemonade, a little bit of sour mash, a little bit of club soda, and some bourbon. What kind of bourbon? Uh, Four Roses, mm -hmm. I think. It's just their normal, not their small batch, but I've had both. And I do like that bourbon quite a bit. Four Roses is a great bourbon. You can't go wrong with it, like mm -hmm. especially for like a cheaper bourbon. It's yeah. like... it's it's more like <clears throat> middling mm -hmm. as far as price goes, right. but it's if you can find it, it's yeah, good. It is. Uh, I'm having a Dark and Stormy over here. The, you know, some ginger beer and uh, classic... Uh, Oh, you're having Captain Morgan's Spice yeah, Rum. Spice Rum. I've been uh, been watching some stuff here. Uh, I'll go ahead and start off uh, today. I'll name a few things. I won't go into great detail on a lot of stuff because I've been watching quite a bit. But uh, a episode we're going to do in the future, I'm not going to get into specifics here, but I have been watching a few Paul W.S. Anderson films that I had as blind spots. So I've watched his version of Three Musketeers and Pompeii. What did you think of Pompeii? I really wanted to watch that. 
uh, Jon Snow stars in Pompeii. Yeah, Kit Harrington. That's right. You know, he's in full Jon Snow mode. You know, he's he's the hero of the day. Well, okay, so like that movie came out third, fourth season of Game of Thrones. Yeah, like I, I think it was like, hey, let's see if we can get Kit Harrington to be famous. It was it was their attempt there. Uh, also, Emily Moss, or I'm sorry, Emily Brown and Carrie Ann Moss are both in it as well. Some Jared Harris action. Kiefer Sutherland's the bad guy. Uh, well, but, isn't Mount Vesuvius the bad guy? Yeah, I'm confused. Well, look, Mount Vesuvius is. Here's the thing. I might. I could go in a weird. Theory. You can't do spoilers because we all know what happened. No, no. To the I, I'm not talking about the the <laughs> the, the the lava, but I'm talking about. <laughs> uh, I'm talking about a, a, a theory I have on the movie, which probably is a wild theory, but I think this was one of the more queer-coded films I've seen in some time, uh, with uh, old Kit Harrington being very sexually confused. He's a bit uh, on the bisexual side in this. They are both, like, gladiator slaves, and they are set up to where they have to face off against each other, and uh, uh, the gods just, you know, don't see it to be. Instead, uh, you know, this this crazy Mount Suvius happens, so... <laughs> Wait, hang on. Their love causes the volcano to erupt? This volcano is in conjunction with Kit Harrington's penis, which is about to erupt and explode throughout the film. For a boy and a girl. Yeah. And in 3D for a theatrical distribution, yeah? It was in 3D. That's right. And, you know, there are shots in the movie where, like, it, it goes, like, it keeps going back to the volcano. Mm-hmm. And, like, when stuff happens, like, you'll get shakes in the middle of the movie where, like, hmm. And it usually happens after, like, something with Kit's character has happened on, str- on so screen. So, tectonic plates heating so up. So, it's, yeah. So, like, my point of view is, like, the gods are a little kind of bewildered about the situation with Kit. And this volcano is, like, it's about to erupt. But then, like, it's like, you know, maybe you need to go more for this lady. And then it like kind of settles it's down a little bit. Then things build up again, settles down a little. I won't go into what happens at the end because although we know everyone is going to die, there is a uh, a love interest between I believe Emily Browning and Kit Harrington's characters, and it ends on <laughs> one of the best shots ever. But I anyway, I know I'm being ridiculous, but uh, all the regular Anderson. Um, compositions flair and action that you would uh you would think of with him so i swam in the ocean next to mount vesuvius even today it because the where you are in the water and where it sits out is really hazy at the top of it it's just creepy it's a very eerie thing it's Mm -hmm. very cool and it's beautiful but yeah i would love to see that That, Mm -hmm. that's really cool Uh, i will say also last one last thing on the movie the last like 30 to 40 minutes is just like just straight destruction movie. So, like, when it hits into that disaster movie mode, like, it's pretty freaking awesome. So, How does it compare to the works of uh, Roland Emmerich? Uh, way better. Wow. But I'm not a Roland, Roland Emmerich fan, so mm. I don't know if, what you're looking for there. Okay. I really wanted to see that film whenever it came out, because I wanted to, I, it's It's a film, that's the type of film I want to see in 3D. Sure. A spectacle. Yeah, Good it definitely is. Fun. And I will say for, like, uh, I in the past, uh, I've given Mr. Anderson some some negative scores on his CGI work, but 
it is very good in that movie and it holds up quite well so so and anyway also i'll just mention three musketeers a lot of fun as well so i enjoyed that movie a lot and uh so i've been watching those and i've been going through some of the older bond movies i watched uh thunderball recently and goldfinger goldfinger i really liked thunderball is a little mixed on and then also i've watched a few of the old star trek movies uh watched the first three uh really oh, like wrath of khan how'd you like three it was the lesser of the three I've seen so far. Uh, so it's worse than one. I, yeah, I like so one. So from my understanding, it's the even numbers in that series that people love, to, like the, two, four, and six. They tend to love. Yeah. yeah, I really like one, and I like two. Yeah, two was really good. One, like I, I liked. I was, I found, I didn't love it. I was, a, I was a bit bored. I, I, I'd never watched Star Trek growing up, so like I didn't know exactly what I was in for. And so like a lot of the movie is just people talking in ships. The so, show is not like the first movie. The first movie is like trying to be way bigger yeah. and like philosophical, now, right? Yeah. It the, is because it, doesn't it talk about like the na- like the whole thing is like finding God yeah. or like the nature of God? Sure. And there, I will say, like the last thirty minutes gets pretty trippy. There's some cool stuff in there. I think it's a solid movie. I just, I, I didn't like respond heavily to it but i think I, people like you know. two more because sure. it m- closely connects to i've only seen two six series and first contact yeah, yeah. rathacon was quite how do you feel about the fashion mm-hmm. choices oh yeah yeah that's that's one thing fun about those movies too though is like the fashion and uh especially i noticed it in the first two is like they really like everybody on the crew changes outfits quite mm-hmm. often as well and it's it's always fun to see uh see what they're wearing so yeah. I love two. Yeah, two was really good. Right. Yeah. So anyway, that's a quick rundown of some of the things I've seen. I took too long on Pompeii. Stacy's been to film school. That's what I've been doing in my spare time. I've had free time. I watched Battleship Potemkin this week. I watched uh, Tokyo Story, nice. which was superb. I mean, Battleship Potemkin's great too. In preparation for this, I watched Z- Zardoz, <laughs> which I have a lot of Zardoz thoughts. I'm not going to talk about it in depth because I hope to one day do an episode on it. Played some older games. I found a game, spoke out to me, Cliffhanger Edward Randy. It's an arcade game from Data East. It is their interpretation of Indiana Jones. So you play a guy named Edward Randy. So it's like the first like level or two is the car chase from Indiana Jones, basically. You're fighting guys who are not Nazis, but it, they look like Nazis, and it's in the 30s. And they're after relics and stuff. And you're trying to save a babe. I also played a game called Tobal Number no. 1. It's a fighting game released for the PlayStation 1 in 96. Square put it out. It's probably the most famous for having the first demo of Final Fantasy VII. Playable demo. I thought it was a solid fighting game. It feels like Virtua Fighter as far as like the attacks go. But it's got a grappling system in there that is similar to like wrestling games. It's all about manipulating people within the ring and the cool thing is all the characters are done by famed dragon ball artist also dragon quest artist akira toriyama one of the guys that you fight is literally like a character that's so fat that he just tries to ring you out because he's so fat and takes up so much space and he just tries to push you out of the ring he doesn't even attack just tries to push you out that's fun it's like on a planet called Tobal, company rules. There's like a, a questing part of the game where you like go to dungeons in third person, but you fight like the fighting game thing. Nice. It's cool. I really like the game. Runs at 60 frames like per second. 
for PS1, which is pretty phenomenal. Check it out. And Edward Randy. Edward Randy. All right. Melanie? I'll be super quick since we our intro is out of control already. but <laughs> It's Nolan's fault. <laughs> it's everyone's fault. We all contribute. We're all the worst. But I unexpectedly have been, for whatever reason, really into first-person shooters lately. So I've played all of the Gears of War and a big chunk of the Halo games. Gears of War is a game, for me, this is going to sound so stupid, but I can't get into video games if I don't like the character design and those were a group of games I was never interested in because I thought the thick necks and just the big like broody guys. Yeah, very bro-y game yeah, games. Yeah, it just seems yeah. like a thing that like yeah, frat guys are mm-hmm. like Gears of War. Like yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. Just not my thing. The story and they do a really bad job especially in the first game of setting up what I didn't even realize that it wasn't Earth until I watched the YouTube video on it. It's actually a really good story. It's kind of similar to Halo and, like, what they're fighting against. Great games. Have you played those? So I have actually never played... I've played a very small portion of the first Gears game, and that's Mm -hmm. the only one I've played in those. Halo, I've played 1, 3, and 4, and a little of 5. So how Uh, do you feel about Halo? I enjoy Halo a lot. Yeah. Uh, Number 3 was one... I remember playing. We, we Stacy and I played a lot. We online. did that. Didn't we do the campaign? And, and then we played you and I played online. I absolutely hated. Which I won't spoil it, just in case anyone listening mm-hmm. has a hankering to play some Halo. But I hated the ending of three so hard. I know yeah. some people had a problem with the way two ended because you don't end playing the game as Master Chief, which I I loved. I think two is great. I think two overall has the best story stuff, but nice. three, the ending, I don't know if you remember what happens. It's been a while, so, so I'll, I'll be honest, I don't yeah. remember very well. Well, I feel like when we played it, like, I had played Halo, that was your first Halo game, mm-hmm. yep. and I oh, played so Halo yeah. 1, like, yeah. on PC when it came out, so it was, like, after the Xbox release. You could talk about those stories, it's been, like, 20-some well, years. Well, but I don't, again, we. I don't need to, it's just... You know, there there's things from the, the last game that just felt... Or the last game I played. So I just finished yeah. three. And very underwhelming. It's just... That's I Because I think that it does such a good job of building up those characters. I definitely had more expectation. The, it did the opposite of what Gears did where... So the first Gears game is perfectly... It's fine. Like, I, I think it's got the best gameplay and feel because I played the remastered version. So it felt really good. And then... Uh, the last two that came out, so four and five, they do a great job of, they kind of scale back the character design too, so they're not quite as bro-ish. Like, all of your main people are a little bit younger than the original Gears that we start out with. And they look better, and the story is really well done, the way it leads in from one game to the next. I really liked Halo did the opposite of that, where it ended, the last thing that I played, it was just like, so, which I can't, it's not the last thing that came out, and I hear mm-hmm. is great, so I'm excited to, to continue playing. Sure. But it just, since I played them those series back-to-back, it's just frustrating. Um, and then also, in preparation of, for this uh, episode, I watched a great documentary on the making of Excalibur, which is what we're going to be talking about today. But Neil Jordan filmed a bunch of stuff behind the scenes during the making of Excalibur. They use a lot of that footage in it, and there's modern interviews from all the living cast members and crew members, 
and it's just it's it was wonderful i think pbs released it here but i believe you can find it online if you want to look <laughs> it up it, i think it's under two different names so there's one i think it's just behind excalibur or the making of excalibur it's something really the other title is like behind the sword and the stone but it's definitely worth watching it's it's right at an hour it's it's not too long and it's really really interesting so that's cool that's that's what i've been up to and today we're going to be talking about the 1981 film Excalibur, directed by John Borman, forged by a god, foretold by a wizard, found by a king. A surreal adaptation of Sir Thomas Mallory's La, La Morte d'Arthur? Yeah. This is the death of it's Arthur. It's a French title. Yeah. Chronicling Arthur Pendragon's conception, his rise to the throne, the search by his knights of the round table for the Holy Grail, and ultimately his death. This stars Nigel Terry... Helen Mirren, Nicholas Clay, Sherry Lungai, Paul Geoffrey, Nicole Williamson, Corin Redgrave, Patrick Stewart, and I feel like uh, I need to mention we also have a young Liam Neeson. Nicole. So there are some of the main actors. I'm sure there are others that I didn't mention, but those are... Top to bottom, ah, it's an all Gabriel Byrne, did you say him? Oh, no, I did no. not. He's yeah. uh, Uther Pendragon. He's way down there. Well, because he's only in the first, like, 20 minutes. That's true. Yeah. Going into this, I'll just go ahead and say that I am not... I know about King Arthur. Like, uh, it's almost weird. It's, like, one of those things, like, it's still in our culture. Like, it's something that you just grow up and I'd seen Sword in the Stone when I was a kid. So, I mean, obviously that's something. And then, you know, you you, you learn about that stuff somewhat in, in classes, uh, in English classes growing up. So, that sort of thing. I imagine growing up, there are in entries in like those reading books that we would be assigned in grade school and middle school and stuff they probably had something from the once and future king mm -hmm. like right. you know kind of like because that's like the most famous modern summary of that story yeah i mean i think thomas mallory is the one that everyone that right. the book that this this film's based off of that's what everyone uses as their sure their research so right getting in just before we start i'm just curious what are your guys' relation Chip to the story, Stacy. So my first experience with it is through, like media, like this movie is something that's been, like in my viewing cycle, probably since I was preteen or teenager, like pretty early on. You know, I I used to rent the video. It had like the black case with the beautiful art, which I think when you go to letterbox like that's the poster art that was on the vhs yeah, that's a really good cover and i remember it's like oh my gosh this is like fantasy but there's boobs in there mm, right excellent right. a this youngster can't ask for more it's so striking visually that like i i feel like you just connect with it because of how visually striking it is that's like oh i'm this is interesting i want to see more of this yeah. So, you know, and I, I sought that out. And it, it's something like once I discovered and then like kind of rediscovered in my later teenage years in high school, I was like, oh, you know, this is something I need to revisit every few years because it's so interesting mm -hmm. to me. But, uh, you know, I, I've got a very loose like idea of the stories. Honestly, most of the stuff that I know from like the books is listenings of uh, myths and legends like that podcast which he does a great job of those. But, like, I have a familiarity with the stories, but I haven't, like, sat down and read any of the books. Okay. I've read Arthurian Legends. The film in particular, 
I don't know what it would have been on, but it aired somewhere, and I know the first part of the film that I ever saw is where the Lady of the Lake, her mm-hmm. hand comes up. A great visual. It's so, it's beautiful, and I I think anyone associates that moment with this film, obviously, yeah. but ugh, everything about it, but that was my first introduction, and I know it was the type of thing where I just immediately was hooked, and it was something where I was like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm familiar, I know what this what this is about, the pairing of all, like, classical music with these, you know, striking suits of armor, mm-hmm. and the, ugh, just, it's, it's breathtaking, yeah. and there's going to be a lot of that in, in this episode, yep. just talking about how beautiful it is. Sure. Well, uh, should I run down my notes before Absolutely, yeah. we get deep into it, mm-hmm. so we can uh, get the ridiculous nonsense out of the way? <laughs> Basically, all I... I knew about this movie was that John uh, Borman directed it. Um, I had seen Deliverance, mm-hmm. which is a solid film. Um, I'd heard a lot about this movie, something that I knew I would be interested in. So when it was brought up for a topic, I was like, yeah, let's get this done. And I, I loved the movie, by the way. And uh, I was I was really struck with the visuals. Uh, so I had a great time with this. All right, I'm going to run down these notes here. Um, I apologize, as always, for uh, what comes out. So, here we go. One sword to rule them all. My wife will dance for us. A great deal of green sheen. All went with the heavy armor character class. Merlin awakens a dragon. Merlin transforms Uther into the duke so he can sex his lady. (laughs) Good dress tearing. Breast out. Morgana sees Ma get a dicking. While seeing glimpses of her real dad, the duke dying. Good sequence of editing there. Merlin comes to take uh, Egret, Egret, <laughs> I can't read my Egret's mind. child. Egret and Uther's child as a deal that Uther made with Merlin. Uther dies and puts Excalibur into a stone and curses the sword and says, no one will wield the sword except me. Arthur, Uther's son, frees Excalibur from the stone. Arthur is the new king. Uh, sick as hell action, beautifully composed. This madness called love, a quote from Merlin. Arthur wants a bride. Merlin tells him he will marry a lady named Guinevere. Patrick Stewart hamming it up. Gotta love it. Merlin trying to catch a fish. Hilarity. That will obviously probably be one of my favorite comedy moments of the movie. Lancelot enters the picture. Lancelot has some nice shiny ass armor. Lancelot and Arthur fight. Arthur breaks Excalibur. Sorry for the page turn there. To defeat Lancelot. The Lady of the Lake appears. Merlin tells Arthur to quickly grab the new Excalibur sword from her. He does. Lancelot asks Arthur to take his take his as his champion. Wait, ah, you wrote this. Lancelot asks, read it as written. Read it as written. <laughs> Lancelot asks Arthur to take his as his champion. Arthur accepts. You wrote that. I did write that. I don't know what I don't know what I was going for there. Okay, Lancelot. Yeah. I don't know. Lancelot asks Arthur to take his as his, I don't know what I was, I don't know. Lovely wedding sequence. (laughs) That lighting on the shiny armor is illuminating. Helen Mirren enters. She is Morgana, all grown up. Her and Merlin exchange words of magic and sorcery and necromancy. Lancelot stabs himself in the side before battle. The knighting of Percival. Lancelot fights for the queen's innocence, I think. Mm-hmm. Merlin heals Lancelot, Arthur's uh, forceful request, sorry about that, whatever the cost, 
Lancelot and Guinevere bone. Merlin shows Morgana <laughs> his secrets. Morgana tricks Merlin and plans to find a man and give birth to a god. Arthur gives up his sword, asking... Oh, no, I'm sorry. A king without a sword. A land without a king. Morgana bones Arthur. I really like... Sorry, I've got to interject yeah. really quickly because the way you wrote that, this is what I thought you meant. You said Morgana tricks Merlin says she's going to find a man to make her pregnant, and then you say Arthur gives up his sword because she has mm -hmm. sex with, I thought you were saying he gives up the sword into her. Yeah, that, I mean, I wish I would have wrote that in more poetic terms. Obviously. But that is what it sounded yeah. like, and I really appreciated that. So sorry, continue. Well, on that note, Morgana uh, Bones Arthur uses the same spell that uh, Merlin used on Arthur's father that uh, led to his birth. Morgana has their child... Percival goes on a quest for the Holy Grail. Arthur escapes death by hanging from Morgana and their child. Mordred, their child, sick armor, goes to claim the throne from his father, Arthur. Percival finds the Holy Grail and has an Arthur drink from it. Arthur and the land are reborn. <laughs> Did I mess up there? I no, know. it's just like word salad. <laughs> Some of what you're saying, I think you said Arthur was hanging and he got freed. Which was Percival. Percival, yeah. <laughs> Yep. Definitely. And you're reading it so fast that it just all blends together. It's, right. No, it, it, I, I'm seeing the movie before my eyes. Right, yeah. It's perfect. <laughs> yep. Uh, <clears throat> Percival finds... Oh, I've already read that. Uh, Arthur and the Land of Reborn. Time to take down Mordred and Morgana. Arthur apologizes to Guinevere. She had kept Excalibur and she gives it back to him. Merlin returns as a dream slash a shadow. Morgana turns old. Mordred chokes and kills her. Battle ensues. Lancelot comes in, saves the day, but dies in the process. Mordred and Arthur kill each other. At least it seems that way. Arthur tells Percival to take Excalibur and cast it into the lake. One day a king will come and the sword will rise again. Arthur's dying words to Percival. And that's the end. Yeah, I think he did a great job. Nolan, did you like this film? <laughs> Yes, I really did like this movie. Just just really well done. What can I say? So let me ask you this. So someone who's coming to it for the first time, I feel like a criticism of this film is that it crams too much into mm -hmm. too short of a time. Sure. Again, as someone who somewhat familiar with the stories it tells, I found it to be easily followable. The, my, I think if, if I had any time that I was a little confused was during the Holy Grail part. Visually, I didn't have a problem with it. I loved how it looked. It just took me a second to like figure out what was going on. Once I did... Well, and it changes like, focus for a bit sure. to where it's like Percival's the main character for like 20 minutes. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it does. And uh, on that, that's maybe my only smallest complaint as far as um, the narrative goes. But uh, I, didn't, I didn't find it to be much of a hindrance other than just took me... I think I may have asked one or two questions while we were watching it. But. Do, you, do you think... Okay, so... This film started out, and Zardoz actually started out, Borman, I guess, was trying to get an adaptation of Lord of the Rings off the ground, or he was offered an adaptation of Lord of the Rings. They realized it wasn't financially possible, but a lot of art that was done for that is used in Excalibur, from my understanding and, like, readings and such. 
I draw some like visual cues and stuff from like Peter Jackson's Lord of the Ring trilogy mm-hmm. to this film and like the way he tells Lord of the Rings. Sure. The fall of Uther Pendragon is very similar to the beginning of the fall of Isildur. It, it almost happens the same way where he's yep. ambushed and then the ring falls in. Uther, you know, driving his Excalibur into the stone with the ending, Arthur being. Uh, ridden off to the mist of avalon sure. and you know all of our heroes going off to the gray havens at the end of lord of the rings right. a lot of similarities coppola's dracula sure. and sequences in this very similar almost beat for beat like the the, the fight with mordred at the end yeah. with the sun in the and background the and the armors of mm-hmm. the intro to dracula there's there's a lot of imagery that's very very similar well and that's an interesting thing reading about borman's films is uh especially like during this period you know all of his effects are in camera and that was something that was very big for coppola on his dracula adaptation was that he didn't want to do a single thing that couldn't have been done at the dawn of film which i think the big thing that people remember from that film is the book and the train coming across right they built a giant book and had this like kind of like model train type thing go through Mm -hmm. which yeah for non-believers out there coppola's dracula is great it's a masterpiece i think the biggest thing about this film which is the most recognized thing is the cinematography by alex thompson he was nominated for his work for this film, was featured in like cinematography magazines. The wedding scene was on the front cover, and he said that he re- they waited all day long to shoot that particular sequence mm-hmm. because they were filming in Ireland, so well, it was raining overcast at the last moment whenever it's like they're getting ready to call it, where it's like, well, we're not going to get the shot, or we just, we're going to have to film it as is. The sky opened up, and that's you get all those rays of light just trickling over the armor and it's so beautiful but that uh screenshot was on the cover of the magazine it's a a stunning Mm -hmm. sequence while we were watching this nolan i don't know if you remember saying this but you're like wow that armor is so shiny and Mm -hmm. i was like it was right before (laughs) the wedding procession was Mm -hmm. like coming in i was like Wait, 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 wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. You're about to be blinded. Yeah. And you're like, oh shit, this is gorgeous. Yeah, that's yeah. Speaking of real quick of the armor, that's another thing I really like is like the progression of the armor mm-hmm. through the film as they start out in the all black. Yep. They, and... Yep. And and like the beginning of the film, this rustic, very gnarly looking armor. Like it, it looks as heavy as it actually is. Which is all and, real armor. Yeah. Yeah. And it also just looks like it's older armor and as the movie moves forward you can in my opinion they put a like uh, a, a basis on let's make this armor appear uh, at the time as like for the times as the time moves on in the movie which is something oh, yeah. i quite well, and enjoyed. i definitely think once our knights kind of come together even before like the round mm-hmm. table is official yeah you you get the sense of the white armor it's not white right. armor but just sure. like the more uh bright silver looking yeah. cleaner armor right it it's like oh this is like signaling a new period right absolutely in the land mm-hmm. and arthur's coming to power yep, yep. A, a a freshness of the land so to give do where do is deserved so Bob Ringwood did all the costume design and he received a BAFTA nomination for his work. 
And Terry English is the blacksmith who did all the armor for this film. And the interesting thing is, and it's one blacksmith. Now, I'm sure he had apprentices and he, such. After a certain point, he would have to. Because they initially signed him on to do seven suits. And he ended up doing 115. In, in three months. Dang. And... And it's interesting, like, watching him talk about that versus, like, if you watch the documentaries for the Lord of the Rings films, which you should, so they did all those armors, but, like, they had, like, an entire, like, shop, like a warehouse, and you're just talking about one dude and probably some apprentices. It's really interesting, and he goes on to do to do the armor for the Marines and Aliens. Oh, that's cool. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, but his, his work, I mean, it... I, and it's crazy to think that they, so all of the actors, anyone you see in armor, the second that they put that armor on for shooting, they're in it the rest of the day. They could, couldn't take it off for lunch. They couldn't take it yeah. off. You you were just stuck in it. Yeah. And it well, was you have heavy. Squires. And they said that whenever they took off all their pieces at the end of the day, um, because you have all of the actual yeah. layers that go under it too, that they would have, since it's real armor, just like nicks and stuff all over your yeah. body from just, that's. It is yeah. what it is. Well, it's those what... battle scenes, like, they're they're probably not sharp or anything, but they're still using steel weapons. <laughs> like, you yeah. see them, like, beating the shit out of each other with these. And they said that, you know, Borman really liked it. The scene that was choreographed ended, and he would just yell at all the actors to, like, continue. Just beat the fuck out of each other, and I'm going to tape that, like, what you improv. And he would have anyone... So... Because they only had so much armor to work with and to build it out to make it look really grand and like there's, you know, hundreds upon hundreds of people fighting is they had people like you'd get hit, you'd fall, you'd roll out of frame, you'd come back, <laughs> you get hit, you fall, you roll out of frame, you'd come and you just, he kept cycling huh. them in and out. So it's like everyone had to just keep doing this until he said cut. That's crazy. Well, and I think for the Leo de Grand's <laughs> castle sequence, they were using real arrows, is what they were saying. Well, they, I don't know if it, I don't know if they're actually arrow tipped, like if they have the arrowhead on it. But they were, they, regardless, they're shooting actual wooden stocks out at people. Mm-hmm. It's another thing I, I really like. Just talking the armor to is, and like as you guys said, it was they were actually wearing this. But I think it's fascinating to see how bodies move. In the film, Which, especially wearing that armor. Yeah. And it, it makes it quite fascinating, in my Gabriel, opinion. Gabriel, at one point, he was talking about... He, he had a couple of funny things to say about the armor, which you can tell his interview, and that I, not to keep referencing this documentary, but it was really sure. great, and it's so wonderful hearing. You can tell, in fact, all of them, they have such... It seemed like, it, obviously, it was a really hard shoot. Borman was definitely... He had a vision of, this is what we're doing, so he was kind of gung-ho... And I'm sure it was a lot at times, but uh, everyone's really grateful because it, it jump-started so many careers. I mean, mm-hmm. the, if you you read the cast album, yeah. it's like that's, I mean, they're iconic actors now. Yeah. It's, it's insane. But at the time, they're all kids that this was the first major thing that they're working on. Most of them were stage actors, but to hear them speak about it and have such fond memories, and they're all, uh, so many of them are still friends, like close friends. That's cool. It's, it's just a really nice thing, but Gabriel Byrne, he was talking about uh, being in this armor, and he's like, you know, you're walking, and like you see, uh, like any other film where they're wearing armor, you know, you can be really athletic and move around. And this, it was real armor. So you, he's like, the way you see us move, where it's you move one foot, 
You right. put it down. You move the other. You put it down. Like it's very robotic because it's heavy and yeah. you can't you can't <laughs> do anything. And he also talked about holding up the sword and like trying to talk. And he's got part of his like the armor breast, pinching his yeah, apple. His <laughs> breastplate like coming up and he can't get out the words. And you're supposed to be you know Uther Pendragon. You're supposed to be this big booming presence and you're squeaking. Another interesting thing about the armor and like the art design and such. The Legends of Arthur, and correct me if I'm wrong, Mel, I, I think that's 5th century, right? Uh, uh, originally, well, no one really knows, but yeah. I, yeah, no, nobody knows, it's the same, but like, people they don't assume really know it's 5th century. Yeah, people don't know who Thomas Mallory is either, which is fascinating. But, um, so this film, it took the look from the 15th century... Because that's like what we commonly associate, you know, we imagine armor in the medieval, the dark ages. Yep. Well, and when you think of Knights of the Round Table, even before you had seen this, you have a vision of what that looks like. Sure. And it's more like what you see yep. in the film. Yep. Uh, one last thing I'd like to mention before we get off the armor is, and I know I, I randomly mentioned it in my notes and we talked about it a small bit, but it's just that green sheen mm-hmm. that, that they have throughout the film. Um, that really starts at the beginning and it, it lasts throughout the film. It, it's, I think he does it in, it gets a little sparser as the movie goes, but like, it's always there in some form. And I really liked that a lot. He had a bunch of, of color gels that he put up on, and some, he, it's crazy the, the spanning of lighting that he did in the film too, because he's using a lot of obviously natural lights. That's why they had to wait for certain Mm -hmm. points of the day to shoot. But anywhere he said that there was like green patches and moss. Again, they're in Ireland, so it's freaking everywhere. everywhere. But he, they would light it with extra um, these green gels, so they would make mm-hmm. it very, very green. And then th- something that I don't understand, and I, to be honest, I didn't actually try to find that much information about it. All of the effects are in camera. I want to see behind the scene footage of the Lady in the Lake. Mm-hmm holding the sword up and catching the sword and all of that stuff. Oh, yeah. Because how on earth you think about that. So not only is there someone in the water mm-hmm. holding this up, they have to lift the sword at this moment where they hit their mark for this right. green gel that's projecting so that the blade, you know, it, so you get that green glimmer. You really do have to have a, a perfect uh, timing and sequence all, well, all together. And how, I, I think how? when we're talking about in-camera effects, like, when Nolan was talking about it in his notes, like, or, or uh, Lancelot stabbing himself. Because you see the blade mm-hmm. go through. You see the blade go through and hit rock. And then he pulls it and out. And yeah, he it pulls looks... it out, and it's all a single shot. Yeah, it looks really good. Like, how the fuck did they do that? That is like Rick Baker, American Werewolf type nonsense mm-hmm. of like, and what he... are you doing here? And the thing is, you see, you do see him pull it out. You, like, you see the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And it's so quick. Like, it's like, it's on screen enough where you see the full effect. I know in my brain how you do that, but, like, making it look that... Because I assume See it's, like, that. a spring appliance attached to his back. And... Because he rolls over, yeah, and it you goes, know, when it, it pops. It, I'm sure that it hit a rock behind him. And but it it's, it, it's still... It looks so good. Mm-hmm. And it is it is a single shot in camera. And it's just amazing even the blood whenever stuff hits blood coming out the yeah it's just crazy to me that anyone hit their mark to where they could hit a blood pack or hit those those are some of my favorite gore effects like there's some really fun like 
dismembering of some arms and limbs and stuff. Mm-hmm. But like those were my favorite just the gore little, shots. Like, just yeah, nicks and stuff. Getting in the chunks. Yeah, because they mm-hmm. would they would like yep. you have like this chunky armor that comes all the way up your arm and then it's sitting on your shoulder, so you have this tiny gap. And to think that again, I I understand the way effects makeup works. Like I get mm-hmm. how they did that. But you've got a guy that is in armor clunking around, another guy that's in armor clunking around, using a, a prop sword that's like a very good prop sword, and hitting mm-hmm. someone and actually making the effect go yeah. off. It's just like... I wonder if like... I And probably not because it's probably filming by the time that this movie came out, but like... I feel like this movie has, like, some shared DNA with Conan. Oh, yeah. Like, the chunky violence. It, I love chunky violence. Mm-hmm. It's my favorite. When, like, the violence in this film in Conan, so good. Basically, all the armor stuff is so good in this movie. Mordred's so. armor. Yeah, that that's real quick. Can we just say <laughs> yeah. that, like, that is one of the coolest sets of armor it is... It's also creepy. It's Am super I wrong? unsettling. No, no, no. It's, it's so unsettling. It's like a cherub face, but it's a a suit of armor or something that's designed to you know wear in battle when yep. you're killing people. It's so <laughs> off-putting. Yep. And all gold. It yep. looks, again, in the lighting, it looks so gorgeous. Well, and how about Helen Mirren's war armor? Whew. That's right. Helen mm-hmm. Mirren... She is... Absolutely beautiful. Was her only feature film before this Caligula? Yeah, I think so. What year is Caligula? Like 77, right? 78, 79? Somewhere in that area. Oh my gosh, she was a baby in Caligula. That is super weird. Dude, Actually, I've never seen Caligula. I'm not trying to be like perverted here, but the like... The actors don't... The, well, it's an actual film that they made with like that, famous actors, yeah. and then they shot porn scenes. Right. No. They're like... No, yeah. She's not engaged in sexual acts during the film. Like anything that's real, that's not... Gotcha. No, that's not the actor. Yeah, I, I knew that there was, it was, I know like There's a lot of the ins and outs of it, but I, ah. I, I, yeah, uh, but I didn't know like, did the actors perform the porn or was no. it like, nice. Yeah. Go Helen Mirren. You're awesome. You're hot. You're Man, beautiful. speaking of other actors, like, can we take a moment for Nicole Williamson? I don't know if any of like these performances and stuff are on your list for like yeah. our categories, Absolutely. but Nicole Williamson, like he is so fucking good in this movie. And I, there's not that many movies I've seen with him in it, but I have seen Robin and Marion, which was a couple years before this, and he plays Little John, and he's phenomenal in that film, and I just think he's such a great presence in this movie. I think his choice, because yep. the, you're playing Merlin, everybody knows this, this iconic figure, I was going to say history, which is not accurate, but, you know, literary Maybe. history. It is such a big performance. Mm-hmm. It is he's swinging for the you know the parking lot. It's so good. Underrated, hilarious film. Like not on like I'm not making fun of it, but he, like he is so funny. Yeah, his wit. Yeah, he, and it's so slick, and it's mm-hmm. the timing. He is impeccable, and he it is so some of the things he reacts to. I thought you were a dream, a dream to some, That's right. a nightmare to others. Like his delivery of all of his dialogue mm-hmm. is so it's it's wonderful. He's he, yeah, I have a note about him in in my categories. Very nice. Also, might I say, Nigel Terry as Arthur, big fan. Uh, yeah. Oh, I I love it. Yeah. You don't like the performance. I have a problem with young Arthur. I think he is great, middle aged to older Arthur. I think he's wonderful, and I the performance he changes characterization. So by that, it is a a brilliant performance through and through. Young Arthur kind of annoys the shit out of me. 
I See, don't know one why. one of my favorite bits is with young Arthur. Like, and we'll get into it later, but, like, young Arthur, like, one of those sequences is my favorite of the film. Yeah, we'll, we'll get into it, but young Arthur, though his cadence of speaking is very weird to me. I don't know why. And I love Nigel Terry, and I do, I think he is a great King Arthur once he's king. I'm in. Hard. He's wonderful. Young Arthur. He does have a bit of a strange goofiness to him. It's very goofy. first portion, but, but and, I agree. I, I think he's, he, 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 he fits into the role. As, and tried to watch it this time from the perspective of, it's like, I know he, it's like he's trying to be this young kid who stumbles into like, you pulled a sword from the stone, and now you're you're the only king. Like this is you're the chosen one. Like this is your life this now. This is your destiny, Arthur. Step up and density. Yeah, I don't know. I still, but even it's like I still think it is a brilliant performance. So it's it is not it, just because I don't like a section of it. It doesn't mean it's bad. He is great. He's wonderful. And obviously, I'm in the minority because everyone, you know, talks about how much they they well, like. Who, who's your favorite King Arthur? Is it Richard Harris from Camelot? Uh, <laughs> Sean Connery from First Night? Ha! Ah, Guinevere. Sword in the Stone. Oh, Wart? That's it. Nice. Like when he's a squirrel? Yeah. But specifically when I, the sequence when he's a squirrel. Mommy likes squirrel fucking. Well, okay. first of all, it's a kid's film, so the squirrels never fuck, but the female squirrel is really macking it's hard. Very Twitter-pated. What did you just say? Are we not talking Disney film here? Wait, what did you say? Twitter pated. Have you ever seen Bambi? <laughs> yeah, I've seen Bambi. I like did how... I say it wrong? Twitter is that not the Twitter pated? Is that not what they call the animals in Bambi, like in springtime when they're all like wanting to f each other? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I saw Bambi a lot as a kid. Like I, I'm sorry, I did. Confused why you're so upset about this? I'm not upset. I just you, thought it was you... weird. Okay, but. Again, this isn't a video podcast, but you looked at him, you looked at me, you looked at him like, like it was a cartoon. I thought I said it wrong. He Did said I say it wrong? I'm sorry. And I accepted it, and you looked at me like, what world am I in where this is a word that's happening? First off, it sounds like Twitter, like the internet. No. Second, he doesn't say, like, huge vocabulary words. You think I'm a dumbass? I don't think you're a dumbass. Can I, get... I Twitter baby. Well, it's Disney language. And it might just be language. I can't think of, like, my favorite Arthur performance. I honestly can't think of one right now where I'm just like, that's it. Clive Owen. No. <laughs> Charlie Hunnam. I haven't seen that. Oh, Charlie. Count it. Have All you right. seen that, King Arthur? No. I do not believe I have. I'm going to watch it. Because I am interested. Again, I will watch anything based in this world because I'm interested. But I have my reservations. Did, uh... He stopped making good films after Snatch. I don't even know if Snatch is a good movie, so I'm not going to answer that question. <laughs> <laughs> Who did The Gentleman? That was him. I like that film. Yeah, it's all right. I like. There are some really fun performances in that. I did not see that. Hugh one. Grant's really good. Delightful. <laughs> I really enjoy Old Man Hugh Grant. I'm so glad we got past Notting Hill Hugh Grant with floppy hair, and we've moved into like him being a really great villain in the Paddington film and. Mm -hmm. Oh, which special note, Paddington 3 is in production. Hmm. That's going to save us all. Um, but yeah, so if we want to... Do we have Categories? To say? Yeah, I, I'm just going to say that I really enjoyed this movie, so I had a great time watching it, and I would highly suggest anybody watch it who has not seen it. So, Stacey, do you want to start? So, for me, best moments of this film, 
obviously the music is superb. Wagner and Orff throughout the film, excellent. Anytime that O Fortuna plays by Orff, that is my jam. I alluded to this earlier. So one of my favorite sequences, probably my favorite sequence, is when Arthur, after being tutored by Merlin for the night, he decides that he's going to join up and fight uh, for Leo de Grance's, um, you know, because Leo de Grance recognized him pulling the sword, which is Patrick Stewart's character. So his castle is being sieged. And I love that entire sequence of Arthur emerging and like getting his brother-in-law Kay or, you know, brother in name, I guess. He joins with everybody that recognizes his kingship. O Fortuna starts playing as they're riding into battle to defend Leo de Grance's castle. And that whole sequence I love. And I love the battle. I think that battle looks so awesome, like when they're sieging the castle. Oh, and you talking about young Arthur. This sequence is phenomenal. And the ladders and the wooden structures, like stuff that they have built up to the side of the castle wall, there are just humans on that and they get thrown off. So you have this moat and they're just getting like thrown back into the water in full armor. I can't imagine. Yeah, all the stunts and stuff are awesome. And I love the staging of the action in that sequence. I think it really hits the emotional highs because you have like Arthur coming out accepting his fate as the taking, king. Taking responsibility. Taking responsibility for the land. And O Fortuna plays and it's like, fuck yeah, we're going into battle. I'm down with this music. And it all like culminates into Sir Urens, who is the person that's leading the siege on this castle. He gets him in battle and then does the kingly thing and you have this great line like nicole williams i did not expect that arthur takes the knee and you know tells urens if you will not bow to a knight then knight me because i am the rightful king it gets me emotional and the next time that o fortuna plays is when the grell quest is done and arthur is it's healed return of the king yeah and all that is so good when they're riding through the cherry blossoms and you see, like, the flower bloom, you know, in the corner of the screen while they're riding through. Yeah, there's that shot it's where so it, fucking epic. It, they pass mm -hmm. through, it's on Arthur's face, and it shows, like, that flat, the bloom of it, which the land is healed. It's a good signaling. Again, such smart storytelling where you're not explaining the whole revelation of, uh, with Percival of, like, oh, you know, the, the land and you are connected, you're fading, the land is... Mm -hmm. It's corrupted the Decaying. hardest. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So you have this nice... Them riding out in those cherry blossoms and everything in full bloom. Yeah. That's explained. Very true. Yeah, I love that moment. And then the third time that O Fortuna plays, which is right before the battle, I think it's less effective than the other two times because I feel like the other two times are thematically linked because it's like the birth of Arthur and Arthur is reborn mm -hmm. once drinking from the cup. So the third time is right before they go into battle against Mordred's army uh, in the fog that Merlin creates in his nightmare form. And this moment reminds me right before the battle in the eyes of Alexander Nevsky, where that phenomenal score is playing. And it's all just like building up right before the battle. And you get these beautiful shots of everybody just awaiting, you know, like what's to come. And you get O Fortuna playing during this moment, and 
while not as impactful as the other two, I, I still think it works very well. And obviously, like, Wagner's score, it's awesome. It, it's too dense. Like, there's too much material in too short of a time. Maybe I'm the only person with this complaint, but I could have <clears> used <throat> an extra 30 minutes to an hour in this world. Everything's so beautiful. And I feel like once you get past the first hour, hour and a half of this film, it speeds by too quickly. Percival and Lancelot don't get enough screen time for you know what they're doing. And there's actually a cut sequence because originally the film was, I think the first cut of it was over three hours. They, they had a sequence with Guinevere being kidnapped by bandits in the forest and Lancelot rescuing her. And that did a lot to like build their you know relationship. It was like right at the mm-hmm. beginning of his kingship, uh, Arthur's kingship. And I, I feel like some of those sequences would have probably helped flesh out those characters that are so important in the you know second and third act yeah so that that would for me like it's just too much material crammed into it two hours and 20 minutes i think that's fair yeah. No one's gonna... yeah uh so my high point of the movie for me is the uh the two main sex acts <laughs> <laughs> well and i am being funny in a way but in a way i'm like i like their symmetry in how uh, no, it's the same spells being used, yeah. like on a base mm-hmm. level. Right, it's mm-hmm. it's they're mirrored by yeah. that, yeah. and the fact that one person was created from right. one of them, and then he's involved yeah. in the second one. It's true. So and it, she witnessed both. It's very poetic, and I, I really like that about the movie. I really don't get into that stuff usually, but it, it's really messed up. I like I like messed up shit. So you know what can mm-hmm. I say? I, I was really into that. Merlin's big beef with. Uther is that he will throw away his kingdom for sex. Right. And that Arthur basically does the same thing in the same manner. Not sex that he had because you're, I feel like what Arthur throws away, he's pissed because Lancelot and Guinevere. Yeah, but he doesn't know he, he is under a spell. He's not aware of the stuff with Morgana. But there is like, as Nolan was saying, like there's poetry to that. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's good stuff. So, uh, I like a lot of the action and everything too, but just like, just that really, I, I enjoyed. Uh, and my low point is just that uh, Merlin leaves the film, and I know this is just part of the story, but he's he leaves for about 20, 30 minutes, and that is disappointing when he leaves because he is such a presence on screen. So Nolan, we have the same look. Okay. My, yeah. my issue, and I understand what you're saying, I wouldn't be mad if this film was longer at mm-hmm. all. Every time I watch Excalibur, it flies by. It, it doesn't, it's not a film that I feel the runtime of. I wish Nicole Williamson was in the film more. It makes sense that he goes away. If the film was longer, we would get more. So in a yeah. way, it's, it's the same, but. Yeah. Yeah, I. I His uh, presence is, you, you notice when he's not there. Mm-hmm. And I'm not, again, it's not a. Oh yeah, the rest of a, the film's great. Yeah, it's, it's it not is. That it's still good. Laughing. Yeah. It, it's not that I need Nickel to be on the screen for me to enjoy it. It's just, it's such yeah. a fun performance. Right. I wanted more. Absolutely. So my high overall is just the, the lighting and the armor. It is the most, the armor itself, the design, what we talked about with the transition of what's going on in the realm in Camelot yeah. once we get there and the transition of the color of armor, the type of armor, it, especially you know Uther's armor at the beginning it's he's got all these like bits sticking off of it it looks very rough it's black it's it almost yeah. is bulkier 
Mm-hmm. And then the knights, it's like they're, once they're the knights of the round table, it's just this, we've talked about this beautiful glistening silver armor. The um, silver sheen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mordred's armor is, it's one of the coolest cinematic armors ever. And again, the fact that it's all real, that's all tangible things that the Smith made. It's insane to me that they did that and that they ended up making 120 some odd suits of armor. It's just crazy. Nice. And then also uh, the, with the lighting, it's just <laughs> using tons of natural lighting is gorgeous. And then those little green glimmers yep. are absolutely stunning. And I think it's such an odd choice and I'm glad that Borman did that. Yeah. The moment with the sword emerging and catching mm-hmm. the sword, I think those two moments, not having that green lighting, you know, it changes it in a big way. Like, it's such a small thing, but it has a huge impact. So, yeah, yeah those are the highs for me. Highs Absolutely. Uh, you want to tell us your... And we've got to come up with a better name for this, because I don't know what to call it ever. But what made you laugh? Yeah, yeah, that works. <laughs> I think the funniest bit in this movie is Patrick Stewart trying to remove the sword and the stone. You mean his commitment to pulling the sword. Right. Obviously, it's not stuck in there. Goes in more than once, and he, like, grabs it. He lifts his chin up, and then he does the scream. It is very theatrical. Mm-hmm. Very, it's wonderful. Very stage actor. Yep. yep, that's a great choice. I mean, mine's, mine's theatrical as well, I, I would say, in a sense... I already talked about it in my notes, but it's when Merlin's trying to catch a fish in, in the creek or whatever, you know. Well, it's an important sequence. It is. It's funny. It is. But he's trying to teach Arthur a lesson of, like, yeah. using your brain. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. The way his body moves and his, like, expressions is just a perfect combination for me. Yep. Yeah. Good stuff. So that's that's my my favorite bit. I also had Patrick Stewart pulling the sword. Nice. His, his undying commitment. I will say, just to offer something up, because we haven't talked about it yet, legitimately love this line. It does make me chuckle, but I think it's a brilliant line, and I love the sequence in the film. Whenever Uther is riding out to bed his queen. Right. Would be Future queen. queen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The dragons awaken, and we get all this, this fog and the smoke and the dragon's breath, and he wakes from his dream, and he's like, you know, Merlin's telling Uther... You can ride across and and you can have your one night and whenever you're done, I I forget how it how it's worded, but the spoils of your loss. Yeah, he's riding out. He's nervous about riding off into like this glen, this cliff, and he's like, "Your lust will hold you up." That is such a good line. Almost everything that Nicole Williamson says in this mm-hmm. film is like fucking genius. There, and that's the thing is, he'll make you. He does things that are, I think, are he makes me laugh. He's so entertaining mm-hmm. and so watchable. But it is a good performance in in earnest. Yeah. It's not like he's hamming it up or something. It's just he made a choice to go big because he's this. I mean, Merlin's a fascinating character. He's like mm-hmm. a demon. And are you surprised that this movie, like you guys, are you surprised this movie didn't get more love? Critically, like oh, aside. it was only nominated for cinematography. Like, do you think? Nicole Williamson should have got that supporting actor nom. Like Ian McKellen for Gandalf, he got it for the first Lord of the Rings and Alec Guinness for Star Wars, like that mentor role. This is one of those movies where after watching it, again, I know film is very uh, subjective, each their own, but like I have a hard time understanding how someone just could flat out not enjoy that movie. If I would have saw that in 1981, I've just been like, well, that's the best thing I've seen in a while. Deliverance is actually much more like subtle and a natural film for him, but like Zardoz and Point Blank, like those films, it's 
the visionary that's behind Excalibur, like, that's in other films, too. Like, I haven't even seen his most regarded film, which I think is Hope and Glory. See, and I watched, and that's another thing in preparation for this, I watched some clips. That is a hard film to find here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's out of print right now. Yeah. I also just gotta say, since you guys know how big of a fan of Conquest I am, I mean, I would have to say that ending fog sequence had to be a little bit of an influence on the whole look of Conquest. I'm going to say that Borman's fog scenes are better than the whole Conquest. Well, that's your opinion. That's your opinion, and I agree with your opinion, Stacey. Thank you. (laughs) Blasphemy. No, in fact, I think that I might have said, oh, Fulci could have taken a note from this. Like, maybe he should have watched this? Maybe he should have watched it to see. Oh, Fulci's a god. We would be, (laughs) I know we're, we're closing up and stuff, but we would be remiss to not mention... The short and great performance of Liam Neeson as Gwen. Oh, Liam Neeson. We did not talk about him. He's got a beautiful top knot and a fuzzy beard. It took me... So, I was watching that because I, I didn't look at the cast. Going, I knew that Helen Mirren was in it. I knew that Patrick Stewart. I didn't know Liam Neeson was in this movie, actually. And watching it, it took me a second. I was like, I think that's Liam Neeson, but I'm not sure. But okay, that was Liam Neeson. Someone else I do want to talk about that we didn't... Nolan mentioned his name, but Nicholas Clay... He is in a movie, Evil Under the Sun. It is one of my yeah. favorite Agatha Christie film adaptations. If you have not seen Evil Under the Sun, he is absolutely delightful in it. Mm-hmm. And uh, Very nice. Peter, That's one I need to yeah, see. Yeah, Peter Ustinov is a Perot in that, and okay. he is my favorite Perot. So if Very you cool. haven't seen that, you have to. I love that film. But he's great as Lancelot. What did you think of Crazy Lancelot? <laughs> After him and all his big thing. beard and like yep. long hair and everything, yeah. it was when he's accepted Christianity. Yeah, <laughs> I liked that epic comeback. Like I was, I him, was not expecting to see him end. again. To yeah. be honest, oh, we should probably also briefly say, you know, for the sake of not being like viewed as dumb dumbs, like this film is kind of like an illusion from like the death of the old religions as far as Europe is sure. concerned, oh, yeah. going into. You're getting rid of these pagan religions, going into Christianity. Right. Yeah, we really such. we haven't really touched on any. But of, they they voice of, it. Yeah. Like Merlin talks about you know what's the going death on of the, in the film. But you're absolutely the right. death of the old gods. Yeah, mm-hmm. the old, yeah, the old sure. religions. The magic is dying. It's one of those movies where I think there is a lot of depth to it, but it's also where we've just talked about it for the last hour. But like, it's just a fun movie to watch, but there is a lot underneath as well. Absolutely. That I think is very important that we could go on for another probably 30 minutes about. But mm-hmm. yeah, I think that's a good point to bring up, Stacey. Oh, and it seems like Arthurian legend's not going to go out of style anytime soon. We had that guy Richie film come out a few years ago. Mm-hmm. And a film that may come out this year, given the current circumstances, who fucking knows. But The Green Knight from David Lowry. Mm-hmm. Oh. So very pumped for that film. Yeah. This was a good time. I, I enjoyed Excalibur quite a bit. If you if you guys are ready to truly yeah, end absolutely. it, absolutely. You don't have any other thoughts. But can I like Uther Pendragon wear my armor while I fuck? Oh, Nolan, you will be happy to know mm-hmm. that Gabriel Byrne said that he got a standing ovation oh. whenever they showed that film okay. because of him effing in full armor. People were really <laughs> impressed by that. Hey, you know what? It's worthy of a standing up. Which was yeah. Borman's daughter. Yeah, Man. that is a very movie. Argento thing going on yeah, there. Yeah, so mm-hmm. that I think yeah. her name's uh, Katrina. Katrina Borman. and then it's really a fascinating Warman. thing to have your own kin just to film them well, naked. But you know, he's an artist. I guess it's just you know yeah. you're gonna have another person yeah. up there. I guess it's 
it is what it is. To me, it is not as disturbing as where Argento goes with Asia in some films where he has. Yeah, I I haven't seen it, but I hear um, Sten, Stendhal, Sten, I can't Stendhal Syndrome. Stendhal, I hear yeah. that one gets pretty mm-hmm. messed up. Yeah. yeah, it still didn't bother me as much as, sure. as the Argento stuff does. But not that it bothers me, but I'm just like, ooh, mm-hmm. I think about it. I think his son's name is Charles or Charlie, and he plays Baby Mordred. All right, let's do the uh, MFK. Let's do it. Okay, so very simple. We have Merlin, we have Old Man Lancelot, and we have Old Man Arthur. You go first today. Okay. I'm going to... I'm going to marry Merlin Mm -hmm. because he's going to teach me all of his shit, and if he doesn't get frozen, he probably doesn't die for a long, long time. And I'm going to keep him straight on that path. Okay. He's going to teach me shit. Maybe I'm the once and future king. I don't know. Yeah. I want to fuck Arthur. Mm. Because it's the more appealing of the two, I guess. To you personally, yeah. Oh, Fortuna is going to be playing in the background while I do it. (laughs) That feels like a very uh, (laughs) husband from Sleeping Sleeping with with the the Enemy. enemy. Yeah, but like... That feels creepy. Orf is way better than Shining Music. Well, yeah, but... I mean, for fucking, not like one versus the other as far as using for film. I love that one. They're both great. Differentiating for fucking, one is better. I'm gonna kill Lancelot because he's out of his mind. Somebody needs to put him down. (laughs) But, might I say, I do find it very emotional at the end once Lancelot does join the fight and he's old bearded Lancelot insane... And at the end, in the mist, when he's yelling, Arthur! Arthur! It's so fucking good. I think the performance between uh, Nigel and Nicholas at that point, the two of them together exchanging, like, Arthur telling him that it's okay that he's... Their love story gets more screen time than him and Guinevere does. Absolutely. Than them and Guinevere separate. Like, that is the betrayal. Oh, yeah. The friendship, not the marriage. Well, and that's very much how it is in the stories, too. I mean, it's it's this, like, they're... My bro. That is that is my best night. That is my mm. best, like, everything. He is the best of he, us. He is the best of us. And for him to do this act, something so insidious... Which isn't true, because it's Percival. Percival's the best of them. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to F Old Lancelot. Uh... I like the, uh, as you guys, as mm-hmm. anyone who listens to the show knows, I, I'm down for some crazy. Mm-hmm. So, you know what? Let's just see what happens. I bet that'd be uh, quite an experience in the bedroom or in the outdoors, wherever, wherever, wherever it takes he us, wants to go. wherever he yeah. wants to go and do. So I'm going to do that. I'm going to marry um, Merlin. And then with that power, because he will give me power, <laughs> we will ki- I will kill... King Arthur, and I will be the new king of the land. Once and future king. You got the same plan as me. Nailed it. Noise. I also am going to fuck old man Lancelot. Mm-hmm. Him I'm... running out with that mace. Arthur! Yeah, down. You don't want to marry crazy. Right. But you might fuck it. Yeah, yeah. And Best yeah. Lancelot? Better than Richard Gere? Nolan, is this your moment? His name... Is Richard Gere. Do you want me to tell the story? Just do it. I can tell the story real quick. Okay. I got a good Richard Gere story for anybody who's who's willing and interested out there. When I was a a young lad, uh, I was probably in middle school. Okay. And 
it was a Saturday night. I had watched a, uh, a movie. I'm guessing it was Pretty Wim Pretty Woman, but I don't know that, to be honest. But I think that's what it was. Obviously, we have the great Richard Gere that uh, co-stars in that film. So the next day, uh, I was a, a nice young boy. I went to church. And on uh, during church, I had met up with my cousin. And we were talking uh, as we were... I think after our Sunday school class, we were outside the classroom just chatting about. And I was like, you know, uh, I watched I watched a good movie last night and it starred somebody and I, I can't remember what his name is. And as I was trying to explain this to my cousin who starred in this movie, what it was about and all this, there's a hefty man that went to our congregation and uh, just, just to like give you a idea, he had a very round portioned belly rotund and very very skinny legs uh like i think i mentioned that he looked a little bit like the character off of corpse bride that says get me musket uh, <laughs> one of those like obviously he's a human is. being but uh, that type of look and just out of nowhere he strolled by us walked right by us and like he just happened to hear our conversation as he was walking by. He just turns to us both. He looks at us and he goes, his name is Richard Gear." And then he just Rick. strolled on by. That was it. That's all. He just let me know who the actor was. Just name dropped him. And it was one of the greatest moments of my life. What did you s uh, do the chariot thing? That's oh yeah, he every, also yeah. Every time you talk about this guy, you yeah. He about also how he, sings. he did uh, he sang he sang like Sunday specials. Like if you've ever gone to a church service, a lot of church services will have uh, people like in the middle of of the service come and do like a special song of the week, and so they'll pick like a uh, old ass song of the week. No. Uh, not a special a, old, song. A special song of the week. But it's, it's, they're old songs. They are old songs. That's true. They're just hymns. A, a lot of times. That's true. Sometimes they're not. Sometimes they, they're yeah. not. Sometimes they would pick contemporary artists. Okay. Um, it depends on the church you're going to. Especially on the church. Here. Exactly. Good grief. Um, so, again, uh, I was in middle school here, and he came up and did... He would do specials sometimes. And he had, like, the deepest voice ever. And so... Uh, one Sunday he decided to do Swing Low Sweet, Sweet Chariot. <laughs> and he sang it, I'm going to perform for everyone. I won't do it as good as him, mm -hmm. but this is how it would go. Swing Low Sweet Chariot Come on. I'm gonna carry you home Swing Low Sweet Chariot Woman, gonna carry me home. And he had that good like vibrato. Vibrato is that you know what, yeah. what's going on there when when you get the shaky. Yeah. yeah. The shakiness going. Anyway, what a, what a guy. Yeah. One of the greatest moments of my life. Truly, Nolan has been looking for a moment to where we mm -hmm. were talking about Richard Gere, where he could talk tell this yeah, story. And this was it. So. We're going to uh, wish you saved this for American Gigolo. Well, probably. Maybe I'll tell it again just to do it for the fun of it. You should. Okay, so to finish my Mary Fuck Kill, I am fucking old-ass Lancelot. I am going to marry Merlin as well. Mm. Because I don't want to be a one future true anything. I want to hang out with him. 
I just want to no. know, maybe have some meals. Just Nicole, know. really tall dude. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Dy- dynamically, we'll be a handsome couple. That's true. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, I'm killing old man Arthur. Even though I really do think Nigel Terry, at the end, his death, him telling Percival to throw the Excalibur sword. Excalibur into yeah. the lake. Absolutely wonderful. Can we talk about how great his death sequence is? It's like wonderful. him and Mordred stabbing each other. Mm-hmm. And like on that red sun. Oh, that which that's And it's all like symmetrically like in frame. I think like if centered. I have to pick a single shot of this Ooh. film because like every every shot of this is like a painting, put it up. Yeah, him stabbing Mordred after Mordred's put that like spear through him. Like that whole sequence, everything is very symmetrical. You have that just that blood sun behind them. That is my favorite single shot from this film. Your beautiful composition. Do you got a favorite shot? No. That's putting you on the spot. I wasn't prepared for this. Yeah, I don't have... I, I guess I don't have one in particular. I, I'll just say, like, I... The widescreen compositions of the action is... It's great. I, that was something that I was excited for you to see because of how much you yep. love action. Yep. And I... The action in this is so wonderful. It is. So I was very excited for you to... To yeah, see what you thought. I love that you love this movie. Yeah. Really enjoyed this a lot. It's a movie I like and I've liked for yeah. a long time. So it, it yeah. heartens me to like yeah. share it with Yeah, it's it's one that you've talked about for for a long time. I can remember it since we've been friends. So I'm glad I got to watch it and watch it with you guys and really enjoyed it. Do you want to take us home now? Alright, let's get out of here. You've been listening to Cinema Parlor. You can find us on SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes, and I think probably most places you get your podcasting episodes here. You can find uh, us on Twitter at Cinema Parlor. And you can find me personally on Letterboxd at Chuck Madden Jr. Glover 84 on Letterboxd. Plastic Werewolf on all social media. And officially Letterboxd. I finally... All right. I, I went you through, signed up? I guess the account that I made all of my sci-fi posts on, I deleted some of those, and it's an old account. It's not a username that I've ever used, actually, on anything, which is kind of weird. But I did have a plastic werewolf letterbox. The last thing, I've only uh, reviewed two things on there. The last thing that I reviewed was Black Panther. All right. And mostly I just talk about how wonderful the acting is and how much I love that soundtrack, which that soundtrack is super badass. It's It's really good. Yeah. It's a great movie. Uh, But yeah, so I am on Letterboxd officially. All right. Hey, that's exciting news. All social media. So if you want to follow me, I'll follow you back. Very cool. Last thing I want to just say, uh, if you get a chance, give us some ratings and reviews. They are much appreciated. So whether you like us or hate us, give us give us some love if you would. Thank you, Melanie, for editing and producing the show. And uh, with that being said, this has been a good episode. And, you know, everybody have a safe and enjoyable week. When you cast it in, what did you see? I saw nothing. But the wind on the water. My king, I couldn't do it. Excalibur cannot be lost. Other men... Do as I command. One day, the king will come. And the sword will rise again.